John chapter 5. We're we'll finishing up John chapter 5 this morning. this morning all right let's get right into it i'll try not to be long-winded today because i know that we've got nursing home um john chapter 5 we'll begin in verse 30 verse 30 look down at verse 30 scripture reads this i can of mine own self do nothing as i hear i judge and my judgment is just because i seek not mine own will but the will of the Father which hath sent me. If you'll remember a few weeks back, we left off on that verse, and I repeated it because it was worth pointing out that we are going to begin this message this morning looking at the righteous judgment of Jesus Christ. And we have to accept something here. Christ's judgment is a righteous judgment. Amen. He can do no wrong, and His judgment is always true and just. And when I think about that, I do, and I'm sure you're doing it right now, I think of many places in the scripture uh, when you're dealing with divine judgment, you know, with it, there was people that said, well, Lord, didn't we cast demons out in your name? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And what was his response? Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Uh, it just, I think about this. It actually, it, it really does, it bothers me when I consider it. There will be many people that will attempt to plead their case with God once it's too late. Amen? There will. Now, uh, the believer's judgment, we will, we will stand before a righteous Christ who will judge us as believers. There's some, there's some judgments that pertain to us, right? But we know that we're saved. There's a great white throne judgment that pertains to the wicked dead that will be resurrected and it will be judged according to their works. That's what it says. Well, anytime you're dealing with somebody being judged according to their works, you're dealing with somebody that's being judged according to their own merits and their own actions, and that person will plead with God their case of why they should not be condemned for eternity, but they'll be thrown in a lake of fire. Amen? That's Bible. But you know what? Christ is a righteous judge. Amen? Um, the judgment is righteous because He Himself was God and man, perfect and sinless, and He paid the price of our sin on the cross of Calvary, and He did it for all of us, but you must accept it in order to be saved. Amen. And I would say that gives Him uh, the authority to make judgment. In fact, the authority was given to Him and his judgment is just and it's true. I'll also point this out. If in your life you decide to trust Christ as your Savior and get saved, maybe not everybody will be happy about your decision. And I hate to say this. Sometimes even church people look at somebody through a lens of speculation because they know how that person was before they came to Christ. Amen. 
Just because you're skeptical of whether or not Christ saved somebody, Christ is the righteous judge. He knows the heart. We look on outward appearance, He knows the heart. Amen? Just a couple things there, but I just we'll keep going here. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. There's a lot here. I mean, this is an example of a verse you could probably preach the entire message on. Christ is, again, reaffirming the fact that He's not working independently of Himself. He's sent from the Father in heaven. He's doing that which the Father has, has told Him to do. His judgment is completely consistent with the Father's judgment. Amen? They're the same judgment. All right? Christ doesn't have a different opinion than God the Father. They're, they're three, but they're one. Amen? So He's saying, and my judgment is just. Why? Because He's not seeking His own will. But he's seeking the will of the Father which has sent him, which has sent me. That's what the scripture says. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's important to point this out as well. Uh, and this is just uh, let's let's take just look at leadership in general now. All good leadership should be leadership that's following the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And you can even have somebody that's uh, not saved but still has some moral integrity and good ethics about leadership doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad leaders, but just something about leadership is a lot different when you know the love of the Lord Jesus in your life. Amen? It has an impact. Let me say this, though. Christ is explaining to speculating Pharisees that He is not seeking His own will, but the Father which has sent Him. Because the Pharisees are still looking at Christ with the doubt in their mind that He is the Messiah. Amen? So if He is not the Messiah in their eyes, then He must be working on some alternative motives here. He must have some incentives involved in why He's doing what He's doing and saying what He's saying. And so Christ knows the hearts of these Pharisees that look at Him through the lens of speculation. And so He's reminding them that He's not here to do His own will, but He's here to do the will of the Father. Amen? Uh, but here with leadership, I'll point this out, Selfish ambitions, wanting things your way, self-seeking, and seeking your own will over God's will does corrupt sound judgment. Amen? It corrupts sound judgment. Um, as people, as human beings, um, sometimes our judgment is persuaded by that which is convenient for us. Amen? Human nature. Sometimes our judgment is persuaded by those things which turn out to be convenient for ourselves. That's just how it goes. Human characteristic for you. But our Lord was not worried about Himself when He came to save us for our sins. Our Lord Jesus had no selfish ambition at all within Himself when He came to save us. Amen? He was out to do the will of the Father. Uh, he was not worried about himself. He was set out strictly to accomplish the will of God. And his judgment is just. Amen. His judgment is just. Now, I would like to look at a couple things with the judgment of Christ. Let me raise this question to you this morning. Just something to think about. In what ways will Christ render judgment? In what ways does Christ render judgment? It's good to know this. It's good to think about it. Um, keep your spot here. 
go a few chapters over to John chapter 12 for a second. Look at verses 31, 31 and 32. Again, this is Christ speaking. In John 12, verses 31 and 32, Scripture reads this, Now is the judgment of this world. He's saying now is. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Amen? What this is speaking of is the judgment of the believer's sins in the cross of Christ. The judgment of the believer's sins in the cross of Christ. Um, just as the serpent was raised up and brought deliverance in the wilderness for Israel, as Christ is raised up, it brings deliverance to us from our sins. Amen? If He'll be raised up, He'll draw all men. We just need to spend our lives raising up Christ. Amen? Let's exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's raise Him up in our life. Let's raise Him up for all the world to hear and all the world to see because once they look unto Jesus, once see, the thing about it is I first developed the conviction of my need for Christ with a visual aid to me. It was I had a visual aid of seeing Christ on the cross of Calvary. At Calvary, amen? Uh, at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. I seen... As I started to accept Christ as the perfect, sinless Son of God who came and I seen His suffering on that cross. And it was the first time that I started to say to myself, He did that for me. He did that for me. And I know that the world paints a pretty picture of Jesus. It wasn't pretty. The cross was terrible. They whooped him. They lacerated the skin on his back. It was, the, it was the most brutal form of execution that anyone could ever suffer. He suffered a suffering that's unlike anything you can picture today. And part of what made the suffering so intense is the fact that he was not on that cross for the sins that he had done. He was on the cross for the sins that we have done. Amen? And he suffered that for us. And so the first thing that we must consider about the judgment of Christ is God's judgment against sin was carried out on Jesus when He was on the cross. Think about that. The full wrath of God was executed on Christ in your place today. Why would you want to try to stand before a righteous God on your own? Seeing what it costed Jesus, wouldn't you just accept the payment He's already made for you? Amen? Just accept what Christ has already done. His judgment is just because He's the one that's paid the ultimate price for our sins. Amen? And praise the Lord, He was put in the tomb and I'm still there, folks. Third day, He rose again and the tomb was empty. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. But Christ was lifted up on the cross. So the results of Christ being raised up on the cross is this. His death, our justification. His death, our justification. He suffered and died, but we were justified. And I like it. I think we talked a little bit about justification for a second 
last week, and I, somebody pointed out to me, and I, it was a good, a good note to have on this, I said that justification is the same as saying just as if I had never sinned. When you accept Christ, God no longer sees the sin, you're justified. But how does that work? I think it is important to point that out. How does that work? Because what's happened is, listen to this trade-off. It's unlike anything you, you could ever imagine. Your sin was put on Him, and His righteousness is put on you. What a trade! That's called imputed righteousness. So why is it that God sees you justified? Why is it, is, it, is it that it's just as if you had never sinned? It's because the imputed righteousness of Christ. Because God took His righteousness and placed it on you. Because you believe. How amazing is that? So the results were death for Christ, but justification of the believer. Imputed righteousness. Let's go back and look at a few more verses here. In John chapter 5. And maybe I should put a reminder on verse 24. We did, we did, verse 24 was in the last message that we had out of John chapter 5, but John 5, 24 reads, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Amen? Uh, so we're dealing there with uh, eternal security, if you would. It says... He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. That's a strong, that's, you have it. It's yours. Permanently. You have it. It's, it's not, listen folks, if, if there was a way for me to lose my salvation today, Christ would have said something about it. And so would Paul, for that matter. I'm pretty sure the Bible would be full of all these warnings better be careful or you're going to lose your eternity but it doesn't say that doesn't say that at all it tells me something different it tells me that if i believe it's all about that word believe 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 it's the common theme just believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved amen just believe stop complicating it well, if I really believe, then I won't do this and I won't do that. And, and there's got to be... Ev- ev- ju- no, start with just believing that yes, it's true. Christ came. He was God. He was man. He was perfect. He was sinless. And He really did it because He was God loving us and wanting to save us. And He really did it for you. Because God loves you and wants a relationship with you. He paid the price. He did the work. He did everything. It's all finished. That's what he said on the cross. It is finished. The work is done. Stop complicating it. Don't frustrate the grace of God, Paul said. Accept the work that's already done for you. I mean, you think about it. I, can I give you some just silly illustrations here, but they're, they're valuable ones. Just think about this in your life. You, you know it's been a long week at work. And you got to come home and Oh, the grass isn't cut yet. Oh, you know, I, this is silly, but listen, I'm making a good point. Just bear with your preacher for a second. If you came home and the grass was cut already and the work was done, wouldn't you appreciate it? Amen. Women, don't you appreciate it if you come home from the grocery store and the bathroom got cleaned? Amen. You appreciate the work being the help. Amen. 
Or, or what? I mean, let me tell you, I appreciate my wife, my helpmeet. When I come home and, and the laundry's done and the dishes get done and the, the meal gets cooked and all the stuff that a woman does, boy, you learn to appreciate it fast. Do it yourself for a while. You'll learn to appreciate it real quick. Men, let me, I'm giving marriage advice up here. Some of you could teach me things about marriage and I'm not saying I'm an expert. I've been married and divorced twice. <laughs> Amen. Well, I've, just hang in there, brother. But I'll tell you this. Men, take my word on this. Help your wives out once in a while. If you see something you can do to help out, she sure does appreciate it. You can speak a love language in that. It just shows that your appreciation for what she does. Amen. And uh, it, it, it's always a good thing. Help your wives out because I'll tell you what. They carry a big weight for us. Amen. So thank you for that. I just... I'll tell you what, I don't know how we got sidetracked here, but I, I just know that uh, eternal security, I was making those examples there, and uh, it's just good. I just love the Lord, but we better move on because I'm chasing a rabbit at this point. So let's move on here. John 5, 24, I said that. That's not being in condemnation, but it's passed from death into life. That's where I was at, and that's how I got sidetracked. We're talking about just accepting and appreciating the work that's already been done for us. Amen. Appreciate what Christ has done. And just believe. That's where it's all at. Just believe. And believeth on Him that sent me hath everlasting life. Hold on to that. So let's uh, move on a little bit. Go back over here to verse 31. We've talked about the judgment of Christ a little bit. Let's talk about the witness of Jesus. Verse 31 reads this, If I bear witness of myself... My witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth, but I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say, that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life? I receive not honor from men. But I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive." How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Boy, he was preaching truth, wasn't he? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings... How shall ye believe my words? 
Amen. That's a, that's a lot to digest, but let me give it to you this way. You might want to write this down now. What we've seen there is a fourfold witness of Christ. Amen. You're finding there four things that are bearing witness to Christ. Um, verse 31, Christ is starting this out here with a biblical rule of evidence. Two witnesses. Amen. He's saying, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. He's affirming the law of God. Because he fulfilled the whole law. He was perfect under the law. He fulfilled it. So he, he's affirming that if he bears witness just of himself and just set, tells them, you know, that this is you know, me speaking about myself, this is what he's done, that witness is not true. It doesn't hold, uh, how do I put it? It doesn't pass muster, if you will, under the law of God. Because it's just one person attesting to who they are. So he's saying, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Not only does it not uphold in the uh, rules of evidence in establishing something, but also he knows that they would reject it solely just on his own word. Well, I think he goes further, and we'll get into this here, um, but he's, he's also going to point out that even with four witnesses, they still rejected him. Amen? But let's look at that. So verse, verse 31, Christ affirms the biblical rule of evidence to witnesses. Now he lays this out. Um, John the Baptist was a witness for Christ. He was a good witness for Christ. Amen? He was God's ordained forerunner to prepare the way and to give that testimony. And so um, he's pointing this out. And we make note of this. So John the Baptist is a witness for Christ. He was a God-ordained forerunner for Christ. He was doing the works that God had told him to do. And even the Pharisees, even the Pharisees rejoiced in his light for a season. That's what he's saying here. Even, even the Pharisees, there is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which, which, which he witnesses of me is true. He sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth, but I received not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. Christ is saying, I'm here for your eternal salvation. And he says this in verse 35, John is a burning and a shining light and they, the people he's addressing here were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. Amen? This is what, and he's pointing this out in these several verses. This is what hypocrites do. This is what Jesus is pointing out. Don't shoot the messenger. Hypocrites rejoice in you for a season. They're happy until you say something they don't want to hear. Amen. They're happy until you change something that they don't want you to touch. Or you try to confront something that they don't want to address. Then the relationship becomes much different. That again is human nature. He's addressing these Pharisees, because even they rejoiced for a season in the light of John. I'd also point out in the history of Christ, even the Pharisees rejoiced at some point in the fact they allowed him to teach at 12 years old in the synagogue and were amazed at his teaching. But once he expounded upon the Scripture and began to un uh, reveal the spiritual truths of the purpose he was there and who he was and who sent him and what he was there to accomplish, the Pharisees didn't like that too much. 
And the relationship changed. These Pharisees, they were the same people. Uh, They're faithful as long as their personal need or desire is met, but as soon as their needs change or they stop getting what they want from you, their faithfulness changes as well. Come on. We ought to uh, take heed to steer very clear of this kind of behavior in our own spiritual life. And I'm not saying anybody here has done anything like that. I'm just putting, it's my job to put the warning out according to the Word of God. Amen? I don't know your hearts, but God does. But I'll tell you this, what God is saying to us in this Scripture is the same kind of stuff what I've just told you destroys many churches. And as I stand in this pulpit this morning as your pastor, I take personal responsibility and it is my job to make sure we're standing against all the attacks of Satan because the forces of hell want to come against this church, this congregation. Satan hates you today. So pray for me as I pray for you because we've got a job to do. And just like Jesus said, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father. Are you seeking God's will in your life today? Amen? Are you seeking God's will? Let New Lexington Bible Church be a place, a lighthouse, a place of guidance that you can pursue the will of God in your life and do the will of God in your community. Amen? So we'll leave that point there. Let's look at this. We have John the Baptist as a witness. Let's go a little further. He was a burning, a shining light. Even the Pharisees rejoiced in him for a season. Then he says this, But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given to me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father hath sent me. The works of Christ are a witness for Christ. Amen? Amen. The works of Christ are a witness for Christ. Do you know what gets me? Oh, I've seen it recently and it breaks my heart. Somebody's in that's not saved. All right? Somebody's not saved. They don't know God. And the inevitable happens in life. Listen, storms come, trials happen, bad things happen. Sickness, disease, something that's you know, life-threatening, car accident, something that's and it's and people that know them that are saved are praying, God, please have mercy on this person, save them, because if they die in this condition, they'll be in hell forever. And people start praying and some are fasting and praying and this person's in dire shape and then all of a sudden, their situation changes. And you know, every believer that knows this person knows, God just blessed them. God did a healing. And the people are rejoicing. And the preacher's there trying to get them into the Bible and say, look at what God's done for your life. He's trying to get a hold of you. Wouldn't you just look to Calvary for one second and see what Jesus has done for you? And and get saved. Look at this mercy. You've got a second chance at life. Live it for Jesus. And then they just turn right back around and go right back to the same sin and filth that they were in before. It breaks my heart. Somebody gets diagnosed basically with cancer. Everybody's preparing for the worst. Then all of a sudden, well, there's no cancer there. You're fine. Wouldn't that make you just ask, God, why did you do that for me? I've never even served you. Why would you have that mercy on me? 
Wouldn't you at least pursue? I just don't get it. And then turn right back around to the same thing you were doing before. The works of Christ are a witness for Christ. If you're saved today, Christ has done a work in your life. The work that Christ has done in your life is a witness. It's a witness to the people around you that our Christ is the true and living God. He's the one and only. There's no none other name under heaven by which man can be saved. It's all Him. You just live for the Lord in your life. Be a good witness. Let the people around you see Jesus working in your life. Those works are a testimony for Christ. You want to be a better witness for Christ? Just focus on being the best Christian you can be for Christ. And the works of God in your life will be a witness unto them. But here, I mean, he, you know, by this time, uh, these Pharisees, I mean, what more did, can God do in front of them for them to see that he's the Messiah? Amen? I mean, you know, we're talking about a Christ here that's already done healings and already done mighty works that they knew couldn't have been done by anyone other than God. And he's the one that did it, and they're still doubting him. They're still rejecting him. We'll go a little further. It says here, let's read verse 37. And the Father Himself which has sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His shape. So now we've got, we've got three witnesses now at this point. right? We've got uh, John has bared witness to Him. The works of God being done that He's doing is bearing witness to Him. Now He's saying the Father Himself is bearing witness to Him. And I think that's important to realize as he's addressing Jewish Pharisees here because of the emphasis they put on their relationship with God the Father. Amen? So Jesus really is pointing out something here because you, you get into the way the Pharisees operated. They were very uh, self-righteous in the sense that they had this relationship with the Father and they do all, you know, they do, they're right with, you know, so they're very much on the Father and that's why he was constantly reminding them, if you reject me, you're rejecting him that sent me. You're not as right with God as you think you are if you're rejecting the Christ that he sent to save you. He was trying to point that out to them. But he's saying here, the Father is a witness. He's saying this, the Father is a witness. Uh, ye have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His shape. Verse 38, And ye have not His word abiding in you, for whom He hath, sit, hath sent Him ye believe not. Now this right here, I'm submitting to you, Jesus just looked these Pharisees in the face, and He gave them some fighting words. Amen. He gave them some fight. They weren't happy to hear that. He just told them, You don't have His word abiding in you. Little did they know. The Scriptures are a witness for Christ. I think he's pointing a few things out here. You can have Scripture in your head and not have it in your heart. That's one. You can know a lot of Bible not live by any of it. Uh, you know, here we've got the intelligent scholars of the Pharisees trusting in their own knowledge, theology, and preferences to draw conclusions. I mean, he gets into that. It's so what he's talking about in 39. You know, he's telling them, look at this. You, 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 you have not the word abiding in you for whom he has sent. You believe not. If they had the word of God abiding in them, they'd accept Christ. That's the evidence. But they reject him. And so he goes into 39, search the scripture. 
For in them you think you have eternal life, and they which testify of me. He's saying you're trying to find some way around it. You're trying to find some other way. You think this is going to tell you something other than Jesus is the only way to heaven, but it's not. They testify to Christ. And they, it's what he's talking about. Search the Scriptures. Why? Because you think you're going to learn something, know more. You think you'll know more than God, huh? Boy! How many times do we you know, people do that? Do they talk like they know more than God knows? Amen? You don't know more than God. So that's what he's talking about. They must conclude that by their own knowledge and preferences and interpretations and theology that that saves them. But you know what? Christ said, you must come to me to be saved. You must come to me to be saved. That's what Christ said. You see it in verse 39 and 40. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. No matter how you slice it, this whole Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation, it's all pointing to Jesus Christ. The whole thing, you can't escape it. They testify of Christ, verse 40, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. What is he saying? There's no other way. If you want this eternal life, you must come to Jesus to get it. Verse 41, I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God? This is getting very interesting here. Uh, I think we should remind ourselves this. If we're going to be like Jesus, then we're going uh, to have to stop worrying about what other people think of us. Amen? Amen. If we're going to be like Jesus, stop worrying what other people think of you. May I remind you today that Jesus made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. Uh, so when people uh, stress, oh, you know, I would go to church, but my reputation, you know, I could, you know, people may not, you know, I could affect my career or my status or this and that. Stop. It's not as important as you think it is. The number one most important thing in life is being a Christian, is, is loving the Lord, is being saved. Jesus made Himself of no reputation, so we ought not to worry much about what people think of us because we love Jesus. Amen? Uh, he says, I know, I, but I know you, ye have not the love of God in you. This is such a strong... This is a, You know, when I read that... Let me get a drink of water. I, I know I'm running out of time, but... Maybe you'll feel the same. When I read that, and I've... Especially early in my Christian life when I read it probably the first few times, I thought, well, how do I know if the love of God is in me? How do I know if the love of God is in me, right? I don't, God, I don't, want, to, I don't want you to say that to me. How do I know if the love of God is in me? Well, the Bible answers that question for it, does it not? It answers the question, and we touched on it in our Scripture reading, but we'll... We'll look at a couple verses. Go back over to 1 John, if you will. First John chapter 2 and verse 15, Love not the world, 
Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's what it says. You're saying, well, how do I know if the love of God is in me? Well, I'll tell you right now that if you love the world more than you love God, the love of the Father is not in him. If you have the love of the world, what, what is this love of the world? For all that is in the world, it's the lust of the flesh, it's the lust of the eyes, it's the pride of life that's not of the Father. Amen? It's, and that can be a lot of different things. I mean, you can love, uh, and not just the big, you know, the big obvious, you know, well, if you love fornication and this and that and everything else, maybe the love of God is not in you. Let me tell you this, it can also be position, status, approval. Those are things that we love in the world too, amen? When you're dealing with lust of the flesh, uh, pride of life, it says the pride of life. So there are people that love themselves more than they love God. Matter of fact, they love themselves so much they can't love God because they're too hung up on themselves. Amen? And so position, status, approval, uh, reputation, power, control, influence, those are big ones. And oftentimes, somebody hung up in any of those categories often has a lot of the other sins, the more openly sins out on display but there's one so how do i know if i've got the love of god in me well do you love the world do you have the love of the world pulling you away from god pulling you away from christ uh can i tell you this today in verse 17 and the world passeth away and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of god abideth forever remember that so you know what there came a time in my life when i got convicted by god that the things I thought were so important, and I realized they weren't important at all. When the love of the world in my life, because I loved the world, I loved the lifestyle, I wanted position, I wanted status, I wanted approval from people, I wanted people to like me, I wanted uh, influence, I wanted control, and I was chasing things and going about it all the wrong way. But when I came to the knowledge that I couldn't love God and love these things, you know what happened? I accepted that I should trade those things in and just follow the Lord Jesus. And you can do the same. Because He is merciful to forgive our sins. Just the beginning of this chapter, our advocate with the Father. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's waiting on you today to accept Him. I'll give you a couple more. Go over to... Uh, 1 John chapter 4 for a second. Look at verses 7 through 12. And then I'll have to uh, we'll have to wrap this up after that, I think. 1 John chapter 4, look at 7 through 12. Beloved. That's a strong term because God's saying that in Christ we're loved. You're loved today. Beloved. There's a lot of people that have experienced things in life that they don't feel loved. Jesus Christ loves you today, this morning. I want to reiterate that to you. If you're here today and you feel like the world hasn't been very nice to you and you've kind of fallen absent on love, would you accept that God the Father loves you? Jesus Christ loves you this morning. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God towards us, 
Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. That's a fruit of the Spirit in our life, to love one another. And the love of God, and I just... I'm going to wrap this message up here, but I'm just thinking as we look through this, Christ is telling them, John bared witness of me. The works I've done in front of you have bared witness of me. The Scriptures themselves bear witness of me. What more can Jesus do? He's come in His Father's name. But they received Him not. He's done the works. He's done the miracles. He's he's loving them as well. I mean, these are the Pharisees and He still loves them. I come in My Father's name, you receive Me not. Another comes in their own name, Him you will receive. They want to pick and choose. They want to have control. They They want the person of Christ to fall into their box. Of what they want Him to be. People, we do that. We try to put God in a box and define God and we think that we're going to control how our relationship with God's going to work and we come up with all this weird stuff. It doesn't work that way. We try to pick and choose on personal bias and preference. Christ is who He is. This Bible cannot be changed just to make you feel better about it. One way, folks. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Listen, He's come. He's done the works. He's everything that testifies to who He is. John bared witness. The works bared witness. God showed you today. If you're sitting here under my voice this morning, God has already showed you some works that He's done in and around you. He's already proven who He is. You've already sat under the preaching of the Bible. You've got the Bible telling you who He is. The Holy Spirit of God tells us who He is. The whole, if you're, I tell you, if you're lost today, right now, if you are, know that you're not saved, right now, as I'm speaking to you, I want you to listen. The Holy Spirit of God has just told you in your heart that you're lost and you need saved. Because it's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. It's not God's will that you carry on in life without a relationship with Jesus if you're lost. It's not God's will that you would end up in hell and this whole thing is over with. Jesus could break the sky open right now and we're done. Well, I just don't like how, I just don't like how the, you know, some things in there I just have a problem with. Stop. You have a problem with it because you're still in your flesh. If you get saved and just start with believing on Him and He'll give you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will guide and direct you in all truth and as that truth starts to fill you, you'll start to understand it and the things that you thought you'd be objection towards in the Bible, those objections will go away because you'll be wanting to yield to God in your life. It just starts where we started this message. Just believe 
in the work that's already been done. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this message today, Lord. I thank You, God, that You've given me the words and the Word of God has come forth, Lord. Lord, as we all bow our heads in prayer today, I look around, God, I ask that You would just touch every heart here, Lord. Let me ask. Nobody's looking around. All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. Is there one here that knows the Word of God has convicted their heart today that they're not saved and they would like to accept Jesus as Savior? Is there one? Nobody else is looking around. Nobody. Eyes are closed. Heads bowed. Your head's bowed. Just put a hand up and say, Preacher, it's me today. It's Preacher. Preacher, it's me today. And I'll pray for you. If you know, listen, nobody's out to embarrass anybody. Every saved person in this church this morning had their day with God when their heart got convicted that they were lost and needed to be saved. And if you know that you need saved today, if you know that's you, the judgment of Christ is righteous. Would you just pray to the Lord Jesus, God, I know it's me this morning. I know, Lord, I know. I know that I've been running. I know that I've been fighting against it. I know I've been wanting to do it my way. But Lord, I know You've convicted me. Holy Spirit, I know has convicted me. I know that I'm lost. I know that I need to be saved. Jesus, will You forgive me? And save me? And give me eternal life? I don't want to live in sin anymore. I don't want to go to hell. I just... I just want to be right again. I just want to serve You. I want a new life. Would you pray that to the Lord this morning? I promise Jesus does not turn you away when you come to Him with your heart in the right place, wanting to be made new, to be a new creature in the Lord Jesus, to be saved. Would you pray that this morning? Lord, just save me. Save me from myself. Save me from my bad decisions. Save me from this path that I'm on. I believe. I believe, Lord. Maybe you're here today and there's, some, there's another part of this message that's convicted your heart. Maybe you're struggling with loving. Maybe you're struggling with certain things. Whatever it is, God knows. And you know. Maybe this message has convicted you this morning. Would you pray? Lord, I know you're talking to me today. Help me, Lord. Forgive me where I failed you. Help me pick up where I left off. Help me to do right. Help me to do better. Help me love my neighbor. Help me love my fellow brother and sister. Help me love those in the community around me. Help me share the light of the Gospel with them, Lord. Maybe you're here today and you're just rejoicing because you look back and you think of all the powerful works that God has showed you in your life. Would you just pray this morning, Lord, I just thank You. I thank You, Lord, that You have done so much for me. You've taken care of me. You've taken care of my every need. Lord, I just praise You. I give You all power, honor, and glory. For I didn't deserve any of it, but You loved me anyway. Lord, we love You because You first loved us. You're so good to us, God. And even though we fall short, we just thank You, Lord, for loving us, putting up with us despite of ourselves. And we thank You, Lord, because we know when this world all comes to an end, we know whom we have believed. 
We've, tr- we've trusted You with our salvation, with our eternity. We know that You've paid the price for us, and we know that we have eternity to spend with You, and we thank You for that today. Lord, as we close out, God, I thank You, Lord, for the church service this morning, for everyone here. It's just a blessing, Lord. It's a blessing to have our, our children in church and our little ones growing and learning. It's a blessing to have everyone come together in fellowship and just, God, it's just amazing. It's amazing to see how you've woven us all together in life, Lord. I pray for my congregation, Lord. I pray for each and every one of them. You know things about them I may not ever know, Lord. But will you touch those needs individually? Will you lift those burdens, God? Would you remind them where they can turn when they've got nowhere else to turn? It's to you, Lord. Comfort them, give them peace, give them strength, help them endure, Lord, help them carry on for you, Lord, until until you call us home, Lord, help us stay faithful, strengthen us, give us comfort and guidance and wisdom in our daily decisions and in our life, Lord, thank you for each and every one of them, and I just lift them all up to you now, Lord, those that aren't here today, we pray for them, we pray for the nursing home, which will come up here shortly, we pray for each resident there that you'll Just be at work through the ministry at the nursing home today, Lord. We just pray for our community, all the things that we'd like to see happen with VBS and other stuff. God, we can't do any of it if you don't bless it, Lord. So we pray for your blessing. Bless our church. Bless everyone as we leave here today, Lord. And uh, keep them all safe. Help them get home safely, Lord. Help everyone have a good week until we can meet again on Wednesday, Lord. It's been good being in your house today. Thank you for the privilege to be here. Thank you for blessing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, let's grab a...